if God is rejected and that grace, compassion, mercy, and goodness is returned to him as hatred and rebellion, then all those wonderful things that he dispenses will be gone and his other side will be revealed and he will then choose to harden a person's heart so that it is assured that they will never find their way to him ever again. When is that point? Only God knows. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be discussing when God hardens a heart. The Lord is a God of great mercy, compassion, and love. There is no one better than God, but within his attributes of being loving and graceful, he is also the worthiest being in all existence. And when people don't value him as he deserves, but rather correspond to his love in hatred and rejection, then his other side of judgment and consuming fire is revealed. God is love, but as a supreme power, he can also do as he wishes, including exercise his right to condemn the guilty. Today's message is inspired on Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 26 through 37. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you, O Lord. For yours is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray, O God, for your mercy, for your grace. I pray for your forgiveness, O Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may always remember us in your mercy, O Lord that we depend on it for everything. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O oh God, that you please give us the wisdom and the understanding, but above it all, Lord God, the humbleness to be able to take your word and to be able to treasure it in our hearts, Lord God, to understand, O oh Lord, that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are the supreme authority, and that, Lord, that what we should do is turn to you with all of our hearts and to be sensitive to your will and to your ways. I give you thanks and I praise you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's key passage reading is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2, verses 26 to 37. This is the word of the Lord. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedmoth to Sion, king of Heshbon, with the words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, and the Moabites, who dwell in Ar, did for me, until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. Then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us 
The Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok or the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. I'm very sure that if someone read this passage by itself, that they would judge God and say that he is a cruel God and that he is probably even unfair. How could a God of love be so unfair to harden a person's heart and furthermore send Israel to do away with not just men, but also women and children? What kind of a God is that? And before we jump to conclusions and commit the foolish atrocity of judging God, we should see more of his word to understand what was really happening. As we have said many times, passages in the Bible are not meant to be taken as standalone truth, but the word of God needs to be taken as a whole from Genesis to Revelation. This is the major error that most people commit. The first aspect that we need to look at is that God knows everything, especially the heart of man. Nothing is hidden from him. He is the all-knowing God, and God passes judgment based on what is in the heart of man and not on outward and superficial appearances. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it also says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is one of the truths that is also missed, that most people treat the word of God as printed information on paper, or as we can see now, data on a screen. And that is all that it is. But if we look at the scriptures themselves, the word of God is not an it, but rather a he. In John chapter one, verse one to three, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the word, and this word, Jesus, knows everything. He knows the thoughts of men. Every single thing that is in our heart and deep inside within our being is completely and fully exposed for him to see and know. One of the many examples we see is this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, where we read this story. So he, Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? or to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. So we read very clearly that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He has always known, he knows now, and he will always know what is in every heart, mind, and soul. The other aspect that we need to make as clear as possible is God's sovereignty. God can do whatever he wants because he is God. No one can question or make God do or not do anything. 
So if God wants to harden someone's heart, he can. If he wants to soften someone's heart, he can do that also. If he chooses to bless some people, that is his choice. If he wishes to utterly destroy a people, even with little ones, as harsh and as terrible as it sounds, that is his call. No one can tell him anything, and least of all, judge him. There is no court that can judge the God of the universe, and we need to get that into our heads. Our opinions of him do not affect his majesty or position. We think that because we can elect men to office and take them out of office, depending on a majority of people, that we have some sort of power that can somehow affect God. Democracy is not universal. We may have been allowed to have democracy by God himself, but God is not subject to any kind of democracy. God is immovable. So anyone with any kind of reasoning and intelligence should conclude that it only makes sense to embrace God rather than to challenge him. And if a person chooses to challenge him, they're only bringing about their own self-destruction. God doesn't lose anything. We are the ones that come out losing. It is in our best interest, in your and my best interest, to be on the side of the almighty God of the universe, especially if he gives us the opportunity to do so, especially if he is good and kind enough to do so. Because as we mentioned many times before, God does not owe you and me anything. That is an irrefutable and universal truth. But despite God's sovereignty, God is more than fair in his ways, more than good. And there is a reason for why he does everything he does. God is not evil. He is truly good. And so before passing a foolish judgment on him, we should endeavor to understand that he knows what he is doing and that there are always very good and compelling reasons from his point of view, which is really the only point of view that should matter. When we understand what we are, especially in the grand scheme of things, and who God is, we should comprehend that his opinion is the only one that really matters. His point of view is the one we need to take in and embrace rather than for us to go by our very limited view and understanding. Now, Pharaoh Ramses is an example of when God hardens a person's heart. God said that he would harden Pharaoh's heart to show his miracles and to free Israel. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh was the one that hardened his heart first against God. And here we see this instance of free will. Rather than Pharaoh yielding to God when God through Moses and Aaron approached him, Pharaoh chose to harden his heart. The first request that was made of Pharaoh was to allow the people to worship God in the wilderness. If Pharaoh would have yielded to God at that time, then everything would have been fine. Israel would have been even remained in Egypt and they would have coexisted peacefully. But Pharaoh chose to harden his heart against the Lord. And Pharaoh kept on hardening his heart after every miracle when he saw relief from them. This is what we read in Exodus chapter 8 where it says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. If we jump to verse 19, this is what it also says there. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And so if we read the whole story about Pharaoh, we know that Pharaoh was the first to harden his heart and that he continued hardening his heart time and time again until God got tired of him. There was a turning point. There was a moment that God said, it is enough. And from there, God's mercy ran out and then God started hardening Pharaoh's heart. 
This is another truth we need to always bear in mind. God is a God of great and awesome mercy, but God can only take so much rejection. God is worthy. And as a worthy being he is, he can only be taken so far, if you will. He has limits. He is love. But when that love is rejected time and time again, his other characteristic comes into the picture, and that is of judgment and consuming fire. Our God is also consuming fire. When is that point of no return? When is the line crossed? You don't want to find out, and you never want to push that limit. That would be the most foolish thing a person could ever do. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, it tells us about what happens when divine knowledge is rejected, where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is what happens when individuals reject God's truth and reject it to the point of no return. There is a line that is crossed where God's grace turns into judgment. There is a point where the Lord in his sovereignty and worthiness takes grace away and hands people over to exactly what they want, to a condition without God, where sin completely takes over and all reason and rational thought is gone. God hands people over to a debased and corrupt mind that cannot find the truth anymore. He darkens their ability so that they cannot find their way to him because they insisted in rejecting his truth, ultimately rejecting him. Rather than acknowledging God and everything he has done for them, they prefer to reject him and to despise everything he is. That is why this concept that we are all God's children and that he will forgive everyone and that everyone goes to heaven is completely and utterly wrong.
Why would God force people to be with him forever if they don't want anything to do with him and out of their own free will? In the end, he is going to give everyone what they really want down deep inside, consequences and all. This is what the word says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. But this truth applies to everything, to good and evil. If a person down deep inside really desires to be with the Lord, then they will find him and get there, guaranteed. But also, if a person just wants to reject the Lord, then they too will get that opportunity to do so. And if they don't turn on time, they will continue on the course that they truly desire. If they want to hate God and be obstinate in their hatred towards Him, then God will help them stay on that path. God will assist them to make sure that they stay there and get what they so much long for. See how that works? And so, is it really God the one that has predestined people to hate Him? There may be certain select instances and that there could be certain individuals that are predetermined to do so because the word of God does give room for that. But in general, people are not predetermined or pre-programmed, if you will, to either love God or hate God. Most people in history and now more than ever are free to choose their path. But when God hardens a heart, it is usually because they have chosen to harden their heart first because they chose to strike first and to repeatedly do so until they exhausted God's grace. When does God's grace run out? Only the Lord knows. We see this grace expended on Paul's life, for instance, where he turned from his rebellion on time. In Acts chapter 9, we read of his encounter with the Lord where it says this, Then Saul, who was later known as Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether woman or man, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So Paul turned to the Lord while there was still time. I tell you that if Paul would not have turned to the Lord with all of his heart at that moment, two things could have happened. Either the Lord would have destroyed him and not given him another chance, or God would have hardened his heart and we not have gotten another opportunity to see things clearly. God calls to salvation all of the time, but what determines what will happen, whether we find grace through Jesus Christ or God hardening a person's heart, depends on the timing and their response to him. The Bible also tells us this truth. Then he looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Who is this chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He was speaking of himself. But what determines what happens, whether a person falls in the stone or if a stone falls in the person, is timing 
and a person's response to the Lord. If a person is still in good time to turn to the Lord, they will fall on the stone and they will be broken, but they will find grace and the breaking will happen so that God can make them new like he did with Paul. But if a person rejects God's grace time and time again, and they go past that point of no return, then the stone will fall on them and they will be grounded down to powder where there will be nothing left and God will harden their heart to make sure that that's where they wind up. As it is written, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. But also, if God is rejected and that grace, compassion, mercy, and goodness is returned to him as hatred and rebellion, then all those wonderful things that he dispenses will be gone and his other side will be revealed and he will then choose to harden a person's heart so that it is assured that they will never find their way to him ever again. When is that point? Only God knows, but the choice is yours. If we understand our position, but more importantly, the reality of God and who He is and all that He has done and the incredible opportunities He gives us all of the time, we should understand that God is more than good. God is a gracious God. The problem that exists is that people are so darkened in their thinking and observation of reality because of the overabundance of sin in their lives. The Bible does not make any exception with this issue of sin. We are all born with sin. And as we grow up, we commit sin over and over and in different ways and we do it willfully. And that is what obscures our view to be able to understand who God is and what He does. Our frame of mind is so distorted that we cannot see even the most obvious of things. All humanity is in terrible condition, but God is merciful, and He tries to call the attention of every single human being with every sunrise, with every heartbeat, with every breath they take. So many things that happen within us and all around us that are completely out of our control, but God is the one that allows for every day and night to be. The universe and everything in it exists because of His say-so. His very person makes all kinds of life possible, from the far reaches of space to the physical things that are invisible to our eyes because they're so small, to the invisible things of the spiritual world. All things, without exception, are what they are because He wills it, so everything speaks of His greatness. And yet people are so full of sin and so focused on their own limited and insignificant person they miss out of all of that and turn a blind eye to His magnificence and reject the obvious and glorious things of God for the superficial and meaningless. Most people reject the eternal for the temporary. Most people give credit to themselves or to other inferior things rather than to God. Rather than looking at the intricacy and the wonder of everything created and saying, who did all of this and how can I know Him? People attribute all of that to a cosmic accident and that there is no God. They would rather debase their own existence and say that they are direct descendants from inferior animals rather than conserve their true position as humans created by Almighty God. And evolution is not the only thing that is used to insult and or negate the existence of God. If everyone just took the time to shift their eyes for a few minutes from themselves and their meager concerns to observe the existence of things and acknowledge God in all of that, 
True faith would be born and God would reveal the mysteries of things that really matter and immortality would be made possible. But most people, because of being so focused on sin and on selfish and evil desires, they question God and judge God and say God is not good and they willfully ignore the greatest occurrence and sign of love of all times that God had such mercy and love for us that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. He displayed such grace that rather than letting us receive our just punishment, he allowed for the sinless and holy one to take on the sins of the world and become the eternal sacrifice so that we could be saved from our own evil. God's love and grace is immeasurable. And yet many say, how can I see God's love? How do I know that God loves me? And why should I care about God when he doesn't care about me? If we look to the cross of Jesus Christ and understood our position and our reality, we would know through and through that God is good and that he loves us and that he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. But God dispenses that grace for a limited time. And if he is rejected over and over, he does harden hearts and to the point of no return. And so, if you have never made a decision for him, or if you have strayed away from him because of your own sin, I urge you to turn to him with all of your heart while there is still time. The very fact that you are listening to this message right now is God that is still extending that opportunity for you to find him and to be with him forever so you can have eternal life. Believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart without any kind of reservation by following him daily, and you will experience God for yourself. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to take our attention off of things that really don't matter. And help us, O oh Lord, to be able to pay attention to you and to see all the incredible things that you do day in and day out at every moment. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that you love us and that all you want to do is have a personal and intimate relationship with us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to be sensitive to you so that ultimately you don't harden our heart, but rather that our heart may wind up being soft in your hands and that we might be able to experience your graceness, your presence. Heavenly Father, help us, O God. Please always have mercy on us, but help us, O Lord, to never take advantage of your mercy and grace and love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.